1: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel, Kim and Chris. On today's book club, we talk to author Ben Rothenberg about his new book, Naomi Osaka, her journey to finding her power and her voice. Today's the 10th of January, and we're here to sit down with Ben Rothenberg. Ben is not only an author, he's a sports writer, the host of the No Challenges remaining podcast, and a tennis Twitter superstar. Ben, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Chris. What did you make of the tennis Twitter superstar? Is that a badge of honor for you?
0: I think so. I mean, I mean, super superstar. It feels like an entirely positive term, right? So, I don't know how sarcastic it's supposed to be, but but it but it sounds it sounds nice.
1: Definitely not sarcastic. Just because I'm British, it does not mean <laughs> that everything will be laden <laughs> with sarcasm. But I did put that as the third the third aspect in terms of the many feathers to your bow, Ben. But I was going to say good morning. It's not good morning. You're down under in Australia, I believe.
0: Yeah, we're meeting somewhere in the middle. It's like good early afternoon, which is for neither of us. Yeah, it's like 6 p.m. here currently. So it's it's, it's still light out, which is nice. Not it Just left the Northern Hemisphere in D.C., obviously, where it sunsets at like 5, 15 p.m. now. So that's pretty depressing. So getting to be somewhere where there's more sunshine is definitely good for my mood and mental health. And it's good month. for the tennis as well, because it hasn't been fantastic weather. So it's good the
1: weather is good down under today, because the qualifiers have started in Australia. Um,
0: are you gearing up for the Australian Open? yeah I'm looking forward to it first Sunday start also here's a new thing for this Australian Open this year it's always been a Saturday or sorry Monday in the past so that'll be different I know there's some grumbling among people who have to work an extra day uh and don't get that extra day off but I think for fans personally I think it's great that there's more weekend tennis and people are home from work and get to watch the Grand Slam I think for for fans it's an entirely good thing so I will quietly support it among everyone else's grumbling. I think I think it's always been goofy for Grand Slams to start on Monday morning or most tournaments to start on Monday morning. It's like, who does that? Like, just start on a Friday night or a Saturday or something where people are actually going to be geared up for some fun recreational event in their towns. Yeah,
1: and it's kind of starting a bit earlier this year as well in terms of some of the exhibitions that have been on show. I know we had sort of Kyrgios Djokovic was last year where they kind of tried that practice match format. And then um, one of the few matches that he played and then now this year, we were going to have Asaka Raducanu and I was very excited that I yeah. didn't know how that went. But um, actually both of them pulled out of that. So it's almost
0: like we're waiting for it to start to see how they're going to be playing. Yeah, both pulling out that match completely fell apart. I was planning on going to that match and looking forward to it. And actually, I was going to bring some of my people from my publishing office in Melbourne here who were going to go see Naomi because it's a book about Naomi and everyone's excited about Naomi currently. So and then and then she pulled out and then Rodney pulled out and then we got refunds. So yeah. well, that, that wasn't that the
1: order I had. thought they'd pull out, in fairness. And we did talk about that on Monday no. on our podcast. that We no. thought maybe Rodney <laughs> would be most likely to, to pull out of that one, but. You have mentioned this book is about Nomi Osaka, believe it or not, from the mm-hmm. introduction. And um, we will talk a little bit more, um, obviously, about that. But how does it feel to have the book out? It's been a long time coming. It launched yesterday, I believe. It's yeah. going to feel
0: good. It feels good. And honestly, the, the best part about it is doing things like this, to flatter you right away, just the hearing people who've read the book. Because for so long, I was just sort of typing into a void of this enormous Word document and and just sort of not getting a ton of feedback, know, from the world about it really large, because I'm used to doing newspaper writing where you put things out and, you know, it's getting read pretty quickly. And so this was a a different sort of metabolism for this kind of project to do something this big. Um, So even just, you know, the handful of people who got advanced copies, and I probably talked to still, you know, probably only about a dozen or 15 people at this point who've read the book so far, but just hearing their reactions and their enthusiasm for it, and everyone's been really positive about it so far, which has been great. Uh, Yeah. Break that streak if you want, but it's no, no, been, no. no. It's yeah, I was going to say, so ben,
1: we're invited to want to tell you just how how awful the book is. No, we absolutely loved it. We <laughs> thought it was um, it was brilliant. I think there's so much to to unpack in the story and so many things that I wasn't aware of as someone who is into tennis, and that's why I think it's great to get the opportunity to kind of delve into some of these themes in a bit more detail, and then encourage people to to pick up the book because there is so much in there and it is such a unique story. Um, and even aspects of the story where. You know, there are parallels, which we'll talk about with Serena Williams. It is very unique to have someone who's almost literally trying to emulate that sort of success and that sort of model. So fascinating as a topic, her kind of whole journey. But in terms of what kind of inspired you to, to write the book and when this project started and and how it kind of changed, I think that's kind of something we'd love to know more about kind of the subject as well as
0: the process. Yeah, sure. So I had wanted to write a book about tennis for a while, and probably women's tennis specifically, because I covered that a lot, and felt like it, the stories of it hadn't really been told, and why it was such a successful sport compared to a lot of other women's sports. And I wanted to do something more general about women's tennis as sort of a as a phenomenon. But then I got some feedback that they wanted something that was a little more focused than doing a sort of sport wide book to have something about. A fewer number of characters. Anyway, so I thought that idea, and that was a bit on a back burner for a while. And then during, I guess, around August 2020, I was really struck by Naomi's development into being this uh sudden activist and finding her voice. This is in the sub. Out of the book. I mean, it's really right there. Just the way she transformed being this incredibly shy person and this incredibly reticent person and to becoming someone who was really becoming powerful and disruptive and find and vocal and finding her voice and, and speaking out on issues she cared about and affecting change and, you know, stopping the entire tournament and its tracks single-handedly in, Cincinnati, in that Cincinnati tournament that was in the mm-hmm. bubble in 2020 in New York. So that was the moment that Kind of, I was, and then she won the U.S. Open. Also on top of that, so I had the idea. Actually, that very day, the play was stopped in Cincinnati, and then that she won the U.S. Open wearing the mask too, and sort of called her shot and like embraced this pressure and invited this scrutiny and attention, and then lived up to it and won a Grand Slam. I had never seen anything like that. I think it still remains probably the most compelling and remarkable Grand Slam run I've ever seen anyone do, just in terms of the intangible stuff going, you know, on the court. Not that, all, not that all the matches were huge epics, but just in terms of the actual, the meaning of the of the tournament. I think it still remains. It's probably singular in my mind. So that made me really interested in her. And I started looking into her, you know, just doing sort of honestly a lot of like Google really deep dives into a lot of her early life and things like that and, and talking to some people and realized just how much of the story had not been told, like how there really was this void in a lot of the reporting and knowledge about her and her family, Uh, you know, and, and the, a couple of the things I did find in my early digging were super fascinating and incongruous sometimes, and I was trying to make it all make sense. And so... That got me interested. You know, time went on. She wins another Grand Slam, her fourth at the Australian Open the next year for 2021 Australian Open. And then she has the French Open standoff and talks about mental health and steps back. And she becomes this huge lightning rod, polarizing person yet again. But this time it's really more focused on her and starts all these conversations. She gets uh, picked to be the torch lighter in the Mm -hmm. Tokyo Olympics opening ceremony that August of 2021. And this point I was saying to my like, literary agent i was like come on we this has to work like she's such we have i need we a not, thousand like, pages about? for this book yeah well that, that i didn't read this that quite yet uh but just which knowing like people care about her like she's such a a singularly fascinating person and she has the world's attention right now like this has to be someone who we can convince publishers is worth doing a book about was really mm-hmm. the issue because it's yeah that's the other part of the equation with a book and obviously for any story writer, for a newspaper you have to get the editor to agree to run it but sort of the leap of faith that it's required from a publishing company to do a whole book that's something that's probably a little bit more uh needs more convincing especially for a first-time author like myself so i was just saying like I, naomi said it has to be able to work and then yeah a couple months later i got the the deal to do it uh and with dutton in the us who's a, a imprint of penguin random house and so that's been great and then, so that was around november august november 2021 and then yeah i've been working the book for i guess a little under two years really to to write it and spent the first year had to get into process in yes, by 2 but I spent the first year really planning on just shadowing Naomi was the main reporting plan and going everywhere she was on tour in 2022. And that had some highlights for sure and that had some some benefits, but also as that year wore on, her year just became increasingly directionless and her tennis was some of the worst it's been, honestly, in years and her ranking slipped and she wasn't playing with much motivation. She said, you know, she, she said actually this month in Brisbane, she admitted she was contemplating retirement mm. uh, a bit at the end of that season, just not really feeling... Any sort of direction that was very apparent to someone obviously mm-hmm. following her close to the way i was and, her, and within her team too people were not sure where she was going what her future might hold in the sport um so as someone tasked with writing a book that had to have an ending about where, where to sort of leave off her career it was a very uncomfortable moment trying to just i was just like i don't know what to do we were having conversations about how to, so how to try to figure like out then. how to end the book there but then yeah but then we had this news that was a blessing for her and for the book honestly of her having this baby and and also her pregnancy really inspiring her to redouble her efforts into the sport and recommit and find this new purpose and, and drive for it. So it's just really, I think, natural stopping point for for this chapter, this this Act One of her her life. This sort of first major book about Naomi Osaka, and who knows if there'll be more in the future. But uh, by myself or some probably someone else, I'm actually the next one. Uh, but uh, yeah, but it's it's yeah, I think that definitely made it. A much tighter book with a clearer ending and and yeah it's it's and also the way that she's come back on schedule and playing again this year i think makes people really naturally interested in her as well like as i'm having this book come out in the world i think there's already people who want to know more about naomi to talk about naomi read about naomi write about naomi watch naomi so all those things have worked out incredibly well for timing so i am grateful to the universe uh for making that all happen
1: yeah it all worked out and i think that's something where it's so nice that although this is kind of the the first part, this is a new start as well for Naomi. And I think that's Mm -hmm. so nice that no matter kind of what is in in the book from the content perspective, there is more to the journey. And I think that's something that's so nice that this isn't necessarily like a retrospective of her career. It's not necessarily the final ending for it. And I think in terms of what we talked about, it won't be the ending because Naomi is such a, a force around the world in business, in terms of activism. So, that's something that I think also kind of means that whatever you're looking at it from, it is kind of the start of it, a, new, a new journey. I was yeah. going to ask you, though, you said kind of there were things that surprised you in the beginning of your research and kind of in the process, what was the most sort of surprising thing that you found out or uh, the thing that surprised you most about Naomi when you were writing the book?
0: One of the small things that comes to mind for that question is pretty early on, I found her dad's movies that he made. He, that he was ah. like an independent film director and made three, I think, I don't know if he completed the third one, but yeah, there's three basically titles and movies that he has in his trailers for, and Naomi and Mari acted in one of them. It's called Selfish Love. And I I, I found a Haitian, like, used DVD website that bought a copy of it and got a copy of, of the DVD in the mail and watched it. It was really remarkable to see Naomi as a child, as like a child actress on That's screen. It was this so complete strange, part of her it? life that I had, I had no idea existed really before. I knew, I had known that he was like a videographer that he did some filming. He made like a highlight reel for her her tennis. I'd seen that before when she first came on tour, actually. But uh, you know, those clips of her playing tennis and kind of with like you know semi fancy animations and transitions between them, so it was like somewhat professionally done. But uh, but yeah, didn't know that he had this whole sort of independent film auteur, if you want to call it that. <laughs> I don't know if he would use that word, but but you know, but these stories he was telling and putting making these movies, and I mean, the second this is the second separate. Passion project alongside this already very encompassing tennis project and the movie's not a big part of the book obviously i think it takes a few pages in one of the cha- in early chapters but still just trying just finding that i was like i'm fascinated by this i want to know more about it and, and try to understand where it might fit into anything and, and the other thing is the movie the movie's very dark too. Mm-hmm. it's like it's a very intense movie it's not like a fun home movie at all mm-hmm. it's like a very and all of these movies are about sort of self-destructiveness and and violence and they're all there they can be very darkly toned so seeing that and and that was just an interesting sort of thing i found very early that's the main thing i can think of that i found just from google initially really and and was so struck by
1: yeah i think advanced um,
0: google but google yeah she said that she kind of get advanced
1: google yeah i definitely need to find that advanced (laughs) google but um no i think she said that she was um she still gets tagged in it sometimes like she said at different stages in the book and i think you mentioned that but if you're looking for like a light watch you wouldn't recommend it
0: no i would not I would not. Okay. I, not a festive I think, Christmas I mean, it's, classic. It's, it's, it's interesting. It's like, it's very, it's like, it's Nomi and her sister both look like cute and adorable. They're like, I don't know, like eight, nine years old when this movie's made. So it's it's cool from a whole movie kind of point that way. But the actual like plot and substance of the movie is is definitely very, very grim. And, and not, doesn't end on, spoiler, it's not end on an up note or anything. Okay.
1: Okay. So um, maybe I won't be watching that for some casual relaxation. But in terms of what, so what surprised me from reading the book, and I have kind of mentioned this to you, is that it's this, the, the young days of Naomi, um, I didn't realise there was this parallel with the William sisters story. And, you know, there is this story that you talk about of the parents' struggle, sacrifice. It is a tale of two sisters in many ways, trained by a parent with the goal of becoming Grand Slam champions. Was this something that you're always aware of, that there was this sort of parallel with the Williams sisters? And kind of how did you come about wanting to explain that story?
0: Naomi talked a lot about her 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 love is the word she uses for Serena, that she really admires Serena so much, and Serena's been such a driving force in her life, and she puts her in a category with, you know, like Rihanna and Beyonce, and she just said someone she has on sort of her personal Mount Rushmore and just sort of a guiding force in her life. And so I had known about that, but I had not really necessarily known how much the, the Osaka's were really looking at the Williamses and really trying to find a blueprint that they could follow. There's one line from Naomi's mom where Naomi, where her mom, Tamaki describes the Williamses as sort of being the car driving ahead of them on a foggy night. And so mm. all they can do and they don't know where to go is just sort of follow the taillights of the mm. car in front of them through the fog and obscurity. It's a which beautiful was a metaphor, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Nice way of nice way of putting it. And really, there was this sort of blind following of, well, the Williamses were in the U.S., so we should go to the U.S. And while well, the Williamses went to Florida, so we should go to Florida. You know, they had their father coaching their two daughters to play. So, our fa- you know, we should do that, too. At, that was a lot of a lot of what their story was based around, and there were a lot of differences, in, and and that was the really this dream that they kind of went all in on in terms of a you know gambling sense, like really saying this is it, this is going to be our path, and and really uprooting and radically committing their lives to to this path, which was very intense and very isolating for for the girls, especially in their childhoods. A lot of times because they got yanked out of regular schools and to go mm. to uh, just the tennis courts all day and then doing some online school in the afternoons and evenings. And yeah, it was a, it was a very, uh, yeah, stark life choice that they, they made. And with the Williamses as the sort of, uh, target, uh, you know, the, the model to aim for. Yeah. And that
1: was a quote from Naomi's father where, um, he basically said, and this was reported, I think in 2018, and including the book, that the blueprint was already there. I just had to follow it. And that's something yeah. that I'd never seen it been spoken about that brazenly. I knew, as you said, that she was, um, a real idol for Naomi, but, in terms of literally almost trying to emulate and make decisions based on that was something that kind of, I I hadn't had appreciation for, but do you think that kind of it's a case that imitation is kind of the highest form of flattery, or do you think it sort of takes the shine off the story of someone's trying to, you know, right, I'm going to try and do this because this happened rather than kind of blazing your own trail early on.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. I guess if you're saying sort of, is it just trite non-original or something is what you're saying to to do it this way?
1: But I just think it, for me, it's like what we were trying to do was, do what they did you know rather than like they're my idol yeah. and it's a loose term no this is like a i'm trying to be yeah, you a little bit if that makes sense
0: so the there were differences i mean in terms of choices some were choices and some weren't i mean the, the williams has got so much more hype and attention as kids and were. Co- i mean venus williams is on the front page of the new york times i think when she was 10 years old and and because yeah. she'd been playing really well in youth tournaments in california she was you know, a, a black girl already, already making big waves from Compton, already making big waves in a, a very white scene. And her father was talking a big game about how great she was going to be. And there's all this agent and and you know, interest from agents and business and sponsors, all this stuff when she was already a, a real child. And by the time she finally made her pro tour debut at 14, it was so hugely hotly anticipated. And the King Richard movie tells a lot of this, although I don't think they necessarily do justice to how. Yeah, maybe they do. Well, I haven't seen it in a while, actually, but in terms of how intense the hype was and how much that was a part of their their lives. The Osakas, on the other hand, were completely obscure. Mm. And no one really, they were under the radar, they were off the radar. And a bit because they're between two countries, you know, representing Japan, but not living in Japan, living in the U.S., but not representing the U.S. They, you know, were floundering in some obscurity. And it really wasn't until Naomi had a couple of big wins. Um, at first, you know getting an agent by beating Glinda Bencich at a 2013 ITF event. And Bencic was one of like, the be-all, end-all juniors in her generation. And so that Naomi, who was a little bit younger, beat her. I uh, got the, caught the eye of her first agent. And then that uh, match against Samantha Stoser that she mm-hmm. won when she was ranked outside the top 400 in, Sto- in Stanford in 2014. Those sort of two events, those really outlier great results in her early career. Kind of got her on the radar, but Soser you know, was saying other tournaments were saying or other players were saying like they would Google Naomi and nothing would come up. They just didn't know. There, there was no buzz. There was no attention. There were, you know, nothing to know about her. And and Stoser says and I talked when I talked to her about it. She was funny. She said that. Naomi, uh, you know, she just saw the name Naomi Saka like JPN on the draw and I was like, oh, it's going to be some, you know, typical small Japanese girl. Like, I played lots of. Kind of <laughs> Not players. the she case. Kind of, make, your own nas- make your own national stereotypes, you know. And she said, like, she's like, oh, you know, if you play, like, I, think, I forget what exactly she said, like, Americans have big serves and, like, Czechs have good backhands or whatever it was. And she's like, okay, yeah. Japanese player, Okay, I know how to kind of basically prepare for this. And then Naomi walked out there being five foot 11 and bombing serves. And yeah. so, her. So, was not expecting that. so that She feels bad. better about that loss now, though, I think she said Yes, afterwards. she does. She yeah, I think <laughs> I would too. But... Aged well, that loss. Yeah, yeah,
1: it has. I think that's such a good distinction because they did come from obscurity, obscurity, but they did try and emulate. So that was the surprise packet that they had, obviously, and kind of no one was expecting it for quite a while. Um, and there wasn't yeah. success kind of immediately, whereas obviously you say Venus almost was unbeaten uh, as a junior for a period of time before she then mm-hmm. made her adult debut on the tour. So... That is definitely, definitely a difference, but I guess it's a similarity is that kind of the, the younger sibling sort of became the better player, which was not necessarily what coaches thought at the time of either the Asakas or the Williams sisters. And firstly, I want to ask, are you a younger sibling? Do you have siblings? And do you think that we, <laughs> as a younger sibling myself, are we just more ruthless in our drive for, to succeed?
0: I'm an older sibling and I definitely think that the, the young ones are the more ruthless ones. And that's sort of borne out in lots of different studies. And it's interesting, you know, there was like I, I quote a study in that staff chapter on sort of the sibling dynamic between the two of them about lots of different reasons why younger siblings do better in sports a lot of times. Mm. Just, you can look at data, like there's da- a lot of data from baseball, for example. Probably not a sport you're especially familiar with, but like they do stats that younger player the younger brothers, if two brothers make it to the major league baseball. Mm -hmm. That the younger one tends to have a longer career, be more successful, and also be like a more statistically daring player, like will try to steal Mm -hmm. more bases, try to take like higher risk plays and just be sort of a more adventurous, rebellious uh, person, which I think is born out in a lot of sort of younger sibling archetypes a lot of times. So yeah, I definitely think Naomi and Mari had that. The different... The Williams is obviously... As much as Serena had a better career than Venus, they both got the number one oh, incredible both lock hall of famers. Venus is Venus is probably the second, are probably the second best player of the 21st century behind Serena. So she's they're much closer. The delta between Mari and Naomi was considerably bigger and more typical for tennis siblings. I mean, it, mm. Williams is both being amazing. That's the rare story. The more mm. typical story is that a lot of kids in a family try to play tennis and maybe most most of the time none of them make it, but mm. sometimes only one will make it. And things like the Kleisters was an example. Yeah, well, there's so so many. I actually had a long list at some point. I was going to do like a tape early on, right? I made a list of like all the sort of obscure siblings. Elke Kleisters was one of them, I didn't even know that. It was like Uh, the list of most wild cards or something. I saw that on, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and they do wild cards, too. So there's a chapter, yeah, in the book about Mari. Mari, the sort of one major moment of nepotism that Mari got was Mm. the 2019 Miami tournament. Mm. Where Mari got a wild card and she was ranked in in the around 330 or so in the world, and she got a wild card into the main draw of Miami. Uh, if it just been qualifying, I think she may not have raised so much eyebrows. But mm. the main draw was was considered pretty audacious and uh, got and that Mari never played WTA main draw before. This is like a big prestigious tournament, mm. and and so yeah. So, but that's more typical. I, I you know I. I Remember, I did a story about Mari for the New York Times at that tournament, and so I was talking to, and it's quoted in the book. I talked to like Novak Djokovic, who was number one of the men's back then as he is now, and he had two younger brothers who both played pro tennis. And actually, mm. neither of them did anywhere near as well as Mari. I mean, I think Marco, I could pull this up. Marco got to like five hundred something, like high five hundreds, I think, in the rankings, and Georgie was well to the top thousand. But there was to the
1: so 1, much 1, talk about sure. that at the time. I remember it was Novak Djokovic came along. And they said, yeah. "There's two more, and they're even better." Um, not quite the yeah. case in the and they story. Yeah,
0: they <laughs> Yeah, it didn't yeah. happen that way. Yeah. No, they were not. But that, but but that's normal, you know, and that's, and actually the same thing, I actually remember that about Serena. i told Serena this, like I have, you know, I remember when watching, the first time I watched the was watching Venus make the final of the US Open in 1999. As a 17 mm-hmm. year old, I remember Serena being in the stands, wearing the beads too in her hair and really going wild and clapping and having the best time watching her sister make the US Open final. And, and the commentator's like, oh yeah, there's a sister she also plays. She plays too. It was a complete afterthought, Serena.
1: It's just, it's it's mad. Point. I remember yeah, I was yeah. relatively young at, at the time and I remember that coming out. It was always kind of like this under, undercar- oh, she's not the tennis player of the two of them sort of thing was almost the narrative. No. When you look back, it's genuinely crazy and obviously maybe it added to the fire in that sense. But I guess that was one thing mm-hmm. that I found quite interesting because from an outward perspective with Naomi, you see her as being kind of quite humble at times and very kind of, it can be very shy and not necessarily completely kind of, uh, un, I guess it would be uncompromising in what she says. And when she talked about her biggest victory, it was actually kind of against her sister. And she was like, oh, yeah. it meant I could say every day, ha, huh, I beat you sort of thing. And I was like, that is, you can see her saying that in the know me sort of way. But at the same time, I thought maybe they'd be like out of respect. They don't play each other or she wouldn't celebrate that. But it's kind of the opposite, which is kind of at, at odds to some of the, the ways that I've perceived her in the past.
0: Yeah, and that was one of the first. When I wasn't in Stanford, I was in Washington with their concurrent tournaments. The same way, I live in Washington? And so, my friend and NCR co-host Courtney Nguyen was in the Stanford press room, and was immediately so shocked by Naomi saying that her very first press conference, like she just beat Sam Stoser. yeah. And we just talked about that, and they asked her like, this "Is the best one of your life?" Like, obviously, like being like, "Of course it is." And she's like, "No, my best one was when I beat my sister because yeah. I get to like the win headline win the had States been written. every day, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah." yeah and, and so, and so that was already she had that kind of that kind of combativeness and, and, and spark and fire. And, and it was just so different also to bring it back to the Williams this, Venus and Serena never, Venus and Serena never did that. There was never any like playful trash talk about their tennis. Like they never seemed to get more up for playing their sister. It was always the opposite. It was always like a deflating experience. They didn't enjoy it. It wasn't, you know, incredibly respectful they, of each
1: other as well.
0: It, it, right. It moments. wasn't what they it wasn't what they were there for, and I even—I think I have a line in the book, like you know, even like in King Richard, the movie that was the William Stanley produced movie about their lives. They never sort of had this obvious note of being like, "You two are going to have to play each other, like you're going to get in each other's way." That was that was a note they, which is a huge part of the William's story, especially for Venus. Honestly, without it all worked out, but they never really, they never really, uh, ever really hit that note in the movie, which I thought was interesting. Whereas, mm-hmm. whereas the Osakas the were all like boom, 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 like rivalry against each other. It was very, mm. very, intense. And Naomi was so driven as a younger player by wanting to beat Mari. And that was what made her want to improve, was wanting to beat Mari. And it wound being this really, really important motivation and measuring stick for wow. her that made her get a lot better in the end.
1: Yeah, and I think that's um, one of the the things that leads to is that that's kind of obviously how she introduced herself in many ways uh, to the world with those kind of the very mm. unconventional answer at a press conference. And I think that's something where kind of being... You talk about it a lot in the book, being a child of the internet, but also being um, someone who ha- is taking an unconventional approach to how they do talk to the press and how they do kind of manage their career and their experiences. Um, have you seen her kind of change over time And in that respect and how her press conference shifted? Did she always remain as brazen in that experience for you? And, and what was it about um, uh, her that's kind of kept people so kind of fascinated in, in the press room with her answers?
0: But she's always been, I think she's always been remarkably authentic and, and honest and unfiltered and uncliched and engaged in this way in press conferences. It's super unique and honestly made the book really easy to write a lot of times because she was such a reliable, open narrator of her life as it was going along. And there's all these transcripts, you know, she did a lot of press, a lot of press over the years. And she, yeah, there would be, you know, there'd, always, there'd so often be one or two lines in there. It was just sort of as I was going, I had a whole printout of like, Every yeah. single transcript she ever did, yeah. and and there'd be a few lines uh, that come occasionally, like once a tournament or something, they would just like sort of stop me in my tracks, and she'd say something really like profound or about something that happened earlier or whatever, and just piecing it all together in this book, there was a lot to work with, mm-hmm. uh, even just even not just even asking her new questions, but even just stuff she'd already said was already really really mm-hmm. informative and illuminating, and she was a real natural, and she is real, she in that moment was a real natural in that format, and she was one of reporters who covered her including people because of her reputation. And she was a real like hipster kind of darling in the early days on tour in terms of like the press we room and people like who were sort of nerdy about it and had time and enthusiasm for covering more obscure players who weren't really title contenders would go to Naomi press conferences and also like stay for the Japanese part was the secret part too, because she would answer in <laughs> English. So like the cool kids knew to sit, stay seated because yeah. other reporters would leave and it's like, okay, now Japanese. And usually when they switch to a foreign language at a press conference, we all English bounce. Yeah, exactly. Get, yeah, get up and leave, which is normal. But I've for sat Naomi- through some Norwegian ones by accident and I'm like, not sure I'm getting <laughs> too much of this one. But with, they, yeah, with Naomi, the cool one sort of I the cool kids we call ourselves very, very humbly and <laughs> sarcastically. Uh we uh we knew to like stick around and and because she also, you know, you get basically double the press conference with Naomi and there'd be mm. new stuff. And you could almost always tell what the question was based on the context of how she answered it. So mm. that was uh, something there. But then at the same time, skip ahead, you know, I think a lot of that openness and authenticity and vulnerability time and you know, the way that she actually processed and engaged and felt uh uh, everything with a sort of open mind and open heart in a press conference when things got more uncomfortable for her that made it feel like uh, a much more perilous place mm-hmm. uh, for her sort of emotionally and for mental health and so that was something that yeah as things as she started you know sort of straining under the pressure in 2021 she she's identified press conferences as a, something she wanted to use to to stop to mitigate that pressure and and part of that also as she talks about in the book was like a lot of sort of classic pandemic era things like doing a press conference over zoom rather than have people in the room and that made her feel more dehumanized as an experience more dehumanizing as an experience and then also the dynamic changed a lot actually too especially for a headline grabber like her because anyone could pop into her press conferences from anywhere in the world and no longer had to be or not anyone but any sort of approved media um, could come in and there wound up being a lot of you know tabloids and 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 sort of websites that were looking to do more sort of churny, clicky content. Okay, yeah, that were suddenly coming to Naomi and, and asking her uh, more controversial potentially or trickier questions or more less questions than thought we getting. Right, I think that's yeah, something I'm trying where, to be generous.
1: Yeah, I think sometimes um, she kind of answers what she wants to answer rather than the question. She kind of has something on her mind Mm -hmm. and she'll be asked a question and she'll be like, you know what guys? And then she'll just say something. And I think that obviously doesn't lend itself to like a quick, right. Next zoom answer, next answer, give them what they want really quickly when you are someone who does take the time to give you something that you can write about. So I think that was something that was also very kind of interesting the book, as you said, she identified the press conferences as being a problem for her and from a confidence perspective on clay, especially, and being a journalist yourself and that whole incident in, in Paris and she talked about it kind of maybe mishandled it slightly herself, but at the same time, it didn't necessarily always paint kind of journalists in the best light. What's your take on how that kind of works and that relationship um, with the media at the time and, and, and where it is now?
0: Where that happened, I think we the sort of core people I talked about who've been in her press conferences for years have been kind of the main people, myself and Courtney and Rima Belail and Tama Carial, you know, there's a few kind mm. of names people will know who've been kind of the more on the Naomi beat regularly for time. I think we were all really surprised and we were definitely caught off guard by her statement, which came seemingly out of nowhere for us, honestly, mm. because she had not really there hadn't been a clear moment. Like I've been in some tense press conferences. Like there are players with some national press. I'll actually say one of the main ones that come to mind is Joanna Conta, mm, had this like, I remember really that frosty one, yeah. relationship with the British press. And it was like really just like cringy and just like oh uh comfortable and like oh god this is like just like tense and and she did not really get along with them it was just not they never vibed. they never like kind of got on the same wavelength kanta and the british press core writ large mm. they just were at odds it was uncomfortable throughout and i do think that players set a lot of their own tone in press i do actually think that every player is different every player has their own kind of kind, of, kind of vibe and even you could probably get that on youtube even too but certainly being in the room like you could definitely, you, there's a different vibe and, and different, uh, you know, Roger Federer sits down and has an air about him. And it's different than the air that Serena has. And it's different than the air that Nadal has. And it's different than the air that Osaka has, different than the air that Djokovic has, different than the mm-hmm. air than Andy Murray has, different than the air than Sharapova, different than Wozniacki. They all have their own, like, I mean, some of the biggest stars. They all have kind of their own vibe and presence. And they really do, I think they underestimate how much they set the tone, actually, or some of them do underestimate how much they set the tone. Um, I almost completely forget where I was going with that but it <laughs> doesn't matter is, yeah terms go in terms uh, of the aspects
1: um, around that in terms of uh, the press I think you can see the dynamic being something that can yeah. lead you to even become more aware of maybe some insecurities that you had before especially going into you know a surface that she didn't feel particularly comfortable with. And maybe it was, right. you know what, this wouldn't be something that would be helpful to me. And and that's the tricky thing. It isn't helpful to people's confidence. It isn't necessary. people aren't in that room to to always build you up. And so Yeah, you and understand- it's also just like
0: feeling a mm. feeling feeling a loss of control. I do think that all the things I was saying yeah. previously about about, about players in the tone, I think all of that I think a lot of that tone control weakened during the pandemic for every player. I think every mm. player just kind of became another square on your Zoom window on your laptop and you mm. When Roger Federer sits down in a Zoom with call with you, which did happen for me, like it's, <laughs> it's less, it's less, it's less like, oh wow, that's Roger Federer, than it is for him. I'm just using him as an example, but mm. like I remember specifically with you know him being on at least one Zoom with him, and just it being feeling different. Like it's not yeah. like because usually people are like Federer had the it's the biggest or like got the biggest past tense now, like sort of like fan reactions from a lot of reporters in yeah. on tour, I'm not you know a lot of potentially like more part-time reporters, uh, yes. usually in tennis, were always like, oh, my God. And his rooms were always fuller and just like, yeah, people wanted to see him. And he was an event in a way that other players don't get. So, yeah. So anyway, so that kind of changed that all that that aura and that projection, that sort of control weakened for players in the pandemic. Yeah. And, and Naomi was not feeling great about her tennis on clay. She had some bad results. And there's also this other pressure building up for her. More sponsors than ever, more money than ever. More money, more problems, as they say. Yeah, and also but it's the also Tokyo more Olympics. Success. She's a very successful woman at this point. Yeah. And you
1: yeah. have to have people ask you some sometimes not great questions and questions that other
0: successful people don't have to answer to, right? Well, this well, this is the sort of question of like that that she would sort of challenged or balked at. And she got into her back with Billy Jean King actually in a video. I quote this and then they did a panel together yeah. a couple months after the standoff. Basically, Billy's saying like Or Naomi asking Billy, like, do you think that we owe people like parts of our time and mind and attention because we get paid a lot of money? And Billy was like, "Yes, yes." It was very vocal. And and and, and and Naomi didn't want to, didn't 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 that didn't gel with Naomi's sort of thought or certainly like not people have been telling Naomi or what she had decided herself or whatever whatever her conclusions were. And Billy being more old school, there's this real clash. And, you know, there's this sort of, this acts happened probably like act four of the book roughly where, you know, Billy and Naomi are sort of held up together after Naomi has her US Open in 2020 and these like two pioneering activists who stand up for things and are speaking out and social change and sort of she's the next Billy in a lot of ways, right? And she, they're really paired together. But then months later, they find themselves on very opposite sides of this divide yeah. as Billy being very old school when it comes to media and thinking like women's sports, especially, we need the media. We need the attention. We need to work for it. We need to be grateful for this. We need to be accommodating. We need to make the sport be sold. And mm. Naomi did not did not have that same that wasn't her thinking, obviously, by boycotting mm. media. She was obviously going out against that and and Billy and her were not on the same page and not on the same frequency. Mm. And so, yes, yeah, so that's an interesting sort of generational divide that gets in that scene.
1: kind of there. Venus in the middle as well, because if she loses, quite often she skips press and takes the fine, which is a, a, not talked about that much, actually. That's something you kind of have to uncover when you search for the press conference or you try and find out what was said. But she obviously, I mean, mm. we've seen some iconic press conferences from Venus, but in terms of how much <laughs> she's willing to give at certain times, but um, I think that is something that's so interesting is this idea that, you know, because of how much she brings to the game and how big her celebrity is, that like it is a duty for her, you know, put it all out there when it comes to the interviews. But as you say, you can really set the tone. And Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, if Only in Theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? that kind of leads me to the activism side of things because the decision she made seemed like it was a very personal decision and it seems like a lot of activism Mm -hmm. comes from personal experiences where she feels like she has to take an action or she wants to push back on something or make people aware of something and obviously that was something that happened after the French movement happened after the, the summer which you said kind of really caught your attention for her and and really kind of led to the the idea of you doing the book and I kind of have this thing where people kind of label her as a sort of ac- accidental activist and I think that from reading your book it doesn't seem like it's really accidental like at all I think her whole shaping of no. her of her life has been around you obviously didn't say that in your book I mean like when people talk about her it's like she's the, the girl that ended up in activism When really the whole nature of her experience yeah. of moving to the U.S. being mixed race uh, she's a black woman that experience seems to be what's really brought her into into the activism side of things and the injustice that she was seeing, rather than it being kind of accidental that she said something and then people labeled her as that, which I think is a misconception about her, really.
0: Yeah, no, she grew up, and she talked about this during 2020 US Open, I mean, she grew up in the US, in Florida, actually, uh, at the time of the, I don't know how much know this story stories in the book, but it was a huge show in the US, yeah. the Trayvon Martin shooting, and who was a, a, a black boy who was, I don't remember exactly how old, I think it was around 14. And he... And he was killed um uh not by law enforcement but someone sort of like vit- an armed person in, in the US and it was definitely like racially tinged, uh, tinge and and it was a huge huge tinge is maybe a, a, not not the right word there at all racially infused let's say whatever you want to call it and and it, and it was yeah and that was a big clutch point and naomi was was really uh marked by that it was really that was a big shift in her in her memory that's a really unforgettable moment for her and, and was scary for her as a you know as a as a black kid in Florida herself, like seeing that someone could just kill you for not much reason. Mm-hmm. And so, and that was her as a teenager. So that was her, you know, that she did express and have Trayvon's name on her mask. Eventually the 2020 mm-hmm. U S open was, was organic for her. It wasn't accidental it had been sort of her life going there and people, you know, her father's Haitian, for example, too. And that's mm-hmm. always been an undercurrent. And there's a, a section on that, uh, around that U S open chapter as well, where it talks about, you know, Haiti, uh, and its history is being a unique history of being slaves overthrowing uh, their captors to form a country in Haiti. And and Naomi, and especially in the sort of Black Lives Matter moment or wave of 2020, sort of drawing new strength from that ancestry and new power from that. And that was something that she said. She said, really motivated her as a as a Haitian, and Haiti means voluntary mission. Spend mm. a ton of time in the country compared to the U.S., certainly where she lives almost all her life, or or Japan where she grew up as, a, as an infant, anywhere where she was born. Mm. But those sort of things have have power for her, and and yeah, so it's not accidental, definitely. And I think mm. that you know, I think that the the twenty twenty one French Open was all the U.S. Open stuff. I think got almost entirely raised throughout. Like that was hugely successful. She won the tournament, made her stance, made her point. We've seen it's doing it really elegantly with the masks. It was seen as like a very like effective way it was to so do poignant. it. It was really impactful. Yeah. It was very it was it just got, you know, it sounds crass for activism about Black Lives Matter, but it got kind of rave reviews, right? Everyone was saying this was great. Everyone was praising her. She won exports illustrated sports person of the year she was one of the several people named it that year and she was ap athlete of the year like she was really on top of, of the world and i call it in the book like her like imperial period mm. imperial phase uh in the book where she was and she was just everything she was touching was turning to gold uh in the public conscious for that stretch there and the french open one did not launch in the same way i mean it just it was clunkier it wasn't as articulately done i think in her original statements mm. and she And it got her just off on a strange foot. And I think she miscalculated uh, how it would be received. And if there was a rallying cry that she was trying to start among players about trying to lead a movement, the other players weren't interested. They were not Mm. really supportive of of what she was doing. And they were honestly, openly, a lot of times uh, mocking her or or saying – well, some were mocking her in private for sure, but also were saying – no, this is not an. We don't have this issue with the press. Like that's not. We think we understand press is part of the job, and we'll do it. And we're not trying to say that you guys are bad for mental health and kicking us while we're down. Or they did. They did not see Naomi's language and yeah. And resonate in, with if it. If you're
1: in a, it also is if you're in a, a bad place, it can be a bad like, well, like press can be a bad place. And if you're not, yeah. then It depends on. And she's been so open. So I think so much of it is so important, not just because. She raised that issue, but I think the idea of the mental health side of in tennis is now considered so much more in terms of player welfare, and so I think out of that came something really positive, even if kind of oh yeah, it was it was a bit clunky and you know it wasn't necessarily the best result. And really, you'd have to say that my perception was that probably her team, if she was feeling on like that, she shouldn't have been playing the French Open at the time. She should have probably. Not put it. Look, in that was situation. ultimately the decision
0: that got made. She did pull yeah. out after one match, but it probably did get too far. She Played pretty well in that point. first and, match and, as well. I remember watching it. And yeah, being she like, played okay. Oh, she yeah, played, you know. Yeah, it was okay. Just, we can and get stuff. I, I think she really. I think that was actually she really reacted after she won that match. Like it was like a, almost like a tournament win. Like it was like yeah, it was big. Such a relief because she knew how much spotlight was on her in that match against Patricia Maria Sig in the first round of the 2021 French Open. Yeah, but then she pulled out and she just wasn't. You know, I I said this at the time, like she just like wasn't ready for playing a grand slam and all that entailed mm. mentally. Like she just was not ready for that. Mm. And so it was the right move for her to to withdraw, even mm. though obviously it was unfortunate. Um, but she just yeah, was not in this headspace for it. and then also kind of informed when I say clunky communication, like that's very common, you know. Um, when you're not feeling well mentally or dealing with yeah. depression or whatever, other mental anguish it may be, you're not gonna be at your most clear, communicating what you need and what you want. Absolutely. And that's, and that's a huge part of the challenge.
1: The only problem is, that, is that that when you have millions of followers, part. right? And then they will see it. And then it doesn't become something that you can kind of have a chat with someone about and kind of kind of air out. But on that topic of um, the match at the French Open, I thought we could talk a bit about some of those kind of matches that defined her career.
0: And, and I'm not saying that, sure. the, that that first round match was necessarily one that did it. It was uh, one of the most watched. It was like, she was in a spotlight. It was interesting because it was like, I have this in the book she was so talked about in like from a media perspective it was like what's gonna happen oh my god is she gonna do the interview what's gonna happen yeah but there was like almost no one in the stands like on a fan level it didn't was not an important match osaka versus sig and it was yeah. also during pandemic restrictions and what have you but it was something yeah that was sort of a, a flashpoint but not actually yeah. important to fans or on paper yeah, I, mean, I was, match I was locked in to see
1: how that would go. I think everyone yeah. wanted to see kind of what Osaka would turn up and what would happen after that, especially. But in terms of some of the matches, you know you talk about some of the, the key moments, the key matches of a career. Um, I loved seeing that Belinda Bencic as a junior was in there. Obviously, we talked about Sam Stoza, but there have been many big matches. And um, I was kind of going to ask you, sort of what are those sort of the matches that in your mind, and obviously a lot of them are, are in the book, have kind of defined her career. I know... From my perspective, the time when I really took note was when she beat defending champion Kerber at the US <laughs> Open in 2017. It was like one in three. And I was like, wait, hang on a minute. This shouldn't happen because, you know, Kerber's not known for throwing in a thousand errors and giving you a win. So that, that for me was when I was like, oh, this is, I stood and took note that she's going to be a real player to watch. But as the expert, what are, what are those matches that you, it could be for any reason in terms of defining a career, the ones that you particularly enjoyed watching. I know you've talked about that before, but what what the matches that stand out to you?
0: Yeah, it's I think your Kerber pick is definitely a good pick. That was her first ever winning against any top ten player. And it came at this moment in the US Open where it was raining. And so she had the she was playing under the roof in Ash against the Champion and she was the only match happening on the grounds so on day one. I think it was day one, not day two, it was first round, but I think it was day one. And so she had like the entire tournament to herself essentially and pulled out this amazingly resounding beatdown of Kerber three and one. Yeah. And and Kerber was kind of not having a great year. Kerber had already lost first round of French Open that year. She was up and down, uh, not not the most, and she wasn't number one anymore. She'd been number one for some of that year, but really was not comfortable on on top of that ladder. And so yeah, Naomi stepped up and won that match very emphatically. The matches actually, when way you were framing that question, the ones that I want to highlight, which are different, and i haven't top of this, so you're getting original content here Ooh, for sure. Amazing. It's sort of an early through line. It was in the book, but it's not so. But it but one of the people I think is sort of un, is a good metric for her in the early days, is actually Madison Keys. Madison Mm. Keys is, there's a, she played, I think, a really interesting example of a person who had a similar but different path who was very much part of the USTA IMG pipeline, was very much someone who was groomed for success Mm. and hyped hugely from a very young age and given lots of wild cards and sponsors and, and, and has a very sort of interesting diversion path. Also in Florida, at Chris, but at the Chris Everett Academy, no, none of the sort of financial strain that the Osaka mm-hmm. family had so much of, Keys was was doing that. And so Keys and Naomi play each other for the first time at 2016 US Open. Naomi's leading the match 5-1 in the third set on her way to a huge win. And Keys comes back and Naomi chokes. Mm-hmm. Keys wins it in a tiebreak, And it's this devastating loss for Naomi from up 5-1 in the third mm-hmm. in the third round of a Grand Slam, um, which would have been the biggest win of her career by far at that point. And she can't close it out. And she loses to Keys again the Indian Wells the next year in 2017, and loses her again at I think the 2018 French Open. I might yeah. be completely wrong about that, but I think it's something yeah. like that. No, And someone, then yeah. I don't know if there was one more loss in there. I think it was just 0-3. And then she plays her in the semifinals of the 2018 U.S. Open. And Keys made the final the previous year. Keys has always beaten her, and Naomi steps up, and I think she goes saves 13 of 13 break points in that match, never broken. And plays amazingly well summoning this like huge world beating tennis and it's just unplayable and keys weeks later in wuhan is still talking about it and it's like she was too good like that i, I had to just, I, you know yeah, she was she's still I, talking I about it, it. She, did, well, yeah. she did she deserved it but well, she got asked about it but she, yeah 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 she's she was like, still that about match with
1: know like how was the match you just yeah. played?
0: She was like no no the match i've played before we've got to talk about it yeah <laughs> she was talking about the whole us open and obviously the final was three and the controversy that happened there but but that was a real achievement unlocked for for Naomi to beat Madison, and I'm actually not sure they've played since. I would have to double check that. But that was a, a sort of a journey where this person was ahead of her and getting everything, and Naomi sort of scrapped her way and took some L's, mm. but finally shut them off, and got this huge win in this moment and played one of the best matches of her life in that 2018 U.S. Open semifinal, which is what made the U.S. Open final mm. uh, the next round possible. So I think for I think he's who I go and you know a bit of description about her backstory and how it's different than Naomi's similar and mm. differences. I think is an interesting. Yeah uh yeah cop for for naomi absolutely and i think that's um
1: that's a very surprising answer i very much enjoy it i love it i love it Um, and like a not necessarily a niche head-to-head but like a head-to-head that we don't think about that much you know and the significance of it and i think there are those players that people have as their um whether it's their like nemesis or not you know who never really get the win against them and then when they do things really shift for them Um, or they haven't beaten them in a while and they get a win. And I think that's something where that has such a big impact on how you feel you're playing, because those are the markers that you've played across the years. Um, Yeah. And kind of on the subject of other matches, obviously Naomi has stepped back onto the court very recently. um, (laughs) And so we'd love to talk about um, her comeback, but um, you did allude to this at the start when you were mentioning about writing the book. And obviously she did kind of have that um, not great run of form, um, and then she took some time off. Yeah. Um, did you always think that she was going to return? Because at that time, you were probably, as you said, you weren't sure if it would be her retirement. Her team weren't always sure if it would be a retirement. Um, but we were surprised by how motivated she was. I mean, she posted her pregnancy announcement um, at the same time as her comeback announcement,
0: which is quite an orthodox, yeah. really. Yeah, there was actually something that her agent told her not to do. It, like <laughs> set a date, and she, she was like, "I'm doing it." She did it anyway. Then, I'll show you. 2024. See you there. Yeah, you know, and then it's how it's, like, almost yeah. exactly, almost exactly a year ago to the day from where we're recording this it was it was when she made that announcement I have to double check the date but it was yeah in this week during Australian Open right before Australian Open qualifying started so it was the same sort of Qualies week of Australia where she made her pregnancy announcement and she pulled out of the tournament one day and they waited maybe 36 hours or 24 hours for her announcement but she really had been receiving from the support to what you were saying earlier yes she she wasn't entering tournaments she wasn't practicing she didn't have a coach like was she still a pro tennis player at this point? Like it was very debatable in her mm. and her team and her. They didn't know, you know, the team, whatever team was left, didn't know. Mm. You know, they were sort of just like, "We'll see." And she didn't know herself either. She didn't have the answers. And it was yeah, this pregnancy news that gave her this this clarity and this new sense of purpose and drive, and that has powered her so far. Obviously, very early in this new comeback, but she's been in a very good headspace and seems very positive and very happy. And we'll see how it goes. But it does seem it's looking good right now. now it's, it looks really good. And the tennis was really good in Brisbane yeah. too. Like the the level of the matches she, she played against uh, Pliskova, especially in that second match, which she lost, but the level was so high, like both like in terms of stats, in terms of just pure peak WTA power tennis. Like that's it was a good couple match, of break points see.
1: here and there. The fact that, I think it was um, Pliskova took two of two break points and only had 13 break points. And was it? Tip, it was like two for twelve. Yeah. Now we got two for twelve something or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It was,
0: yeah. And so yeah, it was just, so just a little. And that was the thing that which is completely normal. Is like when you coming back because the other in the first match she played Tamara Corpat, she won that and it was the she was really good except when she was trying to serve out the match in the second set and then she mm. like had a kind of a brain fart. You can't the practice game that, and, can you? Uh, when you're no, not you can't practice closing and and big points right. That and so that's going to take a little bit more time, and practice, and trial and error to relearn that skill. But that she'll get there. And you know, assuming she stays motivated and healthy and as fit as she is, mm. the the ball striking has not gotten wor- worse. Certainly, it looked almost better than ever. Honestly, in Brisbane, it was so good. It was, she was the ball. So I was it, very impressed by that.
1: It looked incredible. And um, something that yeah. kind of leads to some of the things we spoke about earlier as well is this sort of the pressure. And she was almost kind of born and raised with one sole purpose. It wasn't necessarily to mm-hmm. to be happy, to be uh, to pursue her education, or to pursue. Kind of the social side of things it was very much to be a tennis player and um i think at times that's meant that she's had quite a difficult relationship with the love of the game um and sure. kind of with the fact that she has come back and she's put together uh well i mean she's really staged a fantastic come, like comeback to the tour in terms of her opening event very early days but it seems like her attitude has changed um by saying that she really enjoyed that even though she she lost it it was really fun out there i think she tweeted and um, I guess yeah. that would be the question that I have is throughout the years, like, does Naomi love tennis? Is it something that she has a change of relationship with? And now this could be the time when she's playing tennis and she, and she loves to play tennis as a tennis player.
0: I think you use the word relationship, and I think it is a kind of a relationship for her. It's mm. not simple. It's it's a very complex relationship at times, and it can have high, highs and lows, hots and colds. In and outs, breakups and reunions, and all sorts of relationship stuff. Situationship. <laughs> and times where times where yeah, situationships. Times where it's hot and heavy. Times when they're just friends, or taking a break, or or whatever else you want to say. I think it is that with her in a lot of ways. And I think I think that she, uh, yeah, is currently there, and we'll see how it goes. You know, because things are going to come in the future with Naomi and both. When I was, Career, both success and failure have had their challenges they bring Mm. with them. You know, Mm. both 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 satisfaction and disappointment can have can be tough to deal with in their own ways. Mm. And so Nami has is more experienced now, and hopefully has will be able to handle things better and and in this stage of her life. But change perspective, right? A change perspective, yeah. Change perspective for sure. But it's still it's still it's still a really brutal sport. Mm. You know, it's still a sport where winning and losing is very black and white. Where and you lose a lot unless anything. you're really good you right? lose unless, a lot and that's yeah. one of the things that actually in 2021 naomi got it's, it's oversimplified but she got really bad at losing mm. she started taking losses really hard and because yeah. one of the things also is that she hadn't lost in a very long time because of the pandemic she went more than a year without losing a match mm. and she won two grand slams and played a very partial schedule but she went more than a year without losing a match and so, when she did start losing again, they became like it's almost like she was a a worker you know who had hands that like calloused or something that you know built up to use mm. the tools and you know get the, but then when her hands had softened, and she got mm. these like cuts and blisters, and things started hurting how they didn't used to before when she yeah. got an out of practice of losing and so that that was something that was we're watching for in twenty twenty two and and also uh yeah, in it was difficult it's to watch to we'll some see of the. how she scenes. Handles, handles losses. Oh, yeah. Completely. Yeah, the strain open. Over I remember and over, the, yeah, it was the tough. camera yeah.
1: behind um, behind the scenes after the Anissa Mova loss. And she played pretty well. Anissa Mova was pretty inspired that day. Yeah. Obviously, Naomi's level arguably is, is much higher. But yeah. that it really... was
0: okay that day, I think. Yeah. But that day was, she was.
1: Yeah, I, I just felt but... like it was that. The bromative house, but certainly the Australian Open, you've seen
0: lots of players come off and start weeping, right? That's a common thing. And like the Australian Open is this bizarre camera thing where, like, I think it was Petra Mardich, I want to say it was, who lost to Sloan Stevens and, you know, walks off court, turns the corner, sits down, slumps in the hallway, and starts crying Mm. after losing this match and being eliminated. Totally normal. But the camera like zooms in on her mm. and sloan was not sloan was furious afterwards sloan mm. is like very much a uh, a mama bear figure mm. in the in the in the in the tour like really protects mm. wants to protect the girls as she says and like doesn't <laughs> and, and sees herself as very much as as it's on the player council i don't know if she does anymore but she was for a long time and and yeah and she yeah definitely sees herself as being sort of like do not mess with these women these are I'm here to protect them. Like, yeah. And, and I very, guess it, it
1: sort of that uh, can warp your perception yeah. of someone based on that moment, which wouldn't normally be be seen in that sense. And but I just I think it hopefully at this stage it will be a case where her happiness isn't dependent on the results on the court because of the wonderful gift of her daughter. Um, and it won't be so results based, you know, because that's that's a tough way to deal with life on the tour. If- you can help. Again, you yeah. can hope. It's yeah. easier said than done. It's easier said yeah. than done, but... I'm not a professional the, tennis player, the, you so you can know what to say. It's easier to say from here, but very hard to do in practice. But um, one question that our listeners actually asked us was that um, okay. about the involvement of Naomi and the Asakas for the book. I think they want to know, like, does Naomi know this book's happening? Have you spoken to people as part of it? And um, and that's kind of the, the top question we got asked
0: a lot, actually. Naomi definitely knows, knew about it from the moment I got the deal, or you know, with certainly within hours or days, I don't know exactly how quickly Seconds. she heard, uh, She was in the was room. Happening. Yeah, no. not, <laughs> she was not she was not in the room, but she knew about it the whole way. They were definitely not in the dark um about it, anyone in the family or the team. And I actually I mentioned that day. Uh, in the stoppage in Cincinnati where where I first had the idea to write about Naomi. Mm -hmm. I think we talked about that at the beginning of the show. Yep. And I actually mentioned it in a in passing to her agent that day. We were talking about like what had been going on behind the scenes at the US Open and the stop or in New York rather. And I mentioned I I had my my notes from that call i mentioned something about like i have like going back through his work in the book was like oh i had the idea this early to actually do the book yeah. i told him about it that day and it became more serious over time but yeah the osakas were definitely in the loop for sure and 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 her agent and naomi in turn from that was responsive you know throughout and he was he was very good about answering questions and and you know and naomi herself as well on the on the fact checking uh part of the book at the end was was personally engaged and, and responding and I had like whole. We had, I had a whole like list of stuff that hadn't been published anywhere previously mm-hmm. uh, in the book uh that I hadn't corroborated or wanted her to confirm and she confirmed she went through and was sort of like yes 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 and then mm-hmm. like a couple things were like well that's not exactly, and she that like clarified a few things mm-hmm. like actually I went to this place because of that not because of this and a couple like things that showed she was engaged and so I really appreciated yeah. that. That from her, Uh, you know, it wasn't like unlimited. Yes, we'll do everything you want for this book for sure. There were times where they were definitely a bit arm's length, let's say, Mm -hmm. about about it. Um, But whenever I talked to Naomi while I was working on it in 2022, and certainly at a lot of tournaments, like I said, traveling the tour with her, she was never, as always, she never really had like a guard up. She was never trying to be evasive or cagey, even though she knew I was working on this book. She was Mm. always herself and open, and and that you know was a big help, and I think makes Mm. make the book a lot better.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And um, I'm sure like, you know, having someone ask you these questions then they could put something together about you be like, kind of fascinated to see like what their take would be. Is it the same as yours about the things? And maybe that's um, something that could be interesting, but uh, you did allude to maybe there'll be a part two or maybe a part two might be done by uh, somebody else. But if it wasn't- Yeah, I have not, I
0: I, I regret- It's too soon you said that. I was like, wait, is there something in the works? I didn't even have to ask. No, definitely nothing. Definitely nothing in the works. I mean, especially with how like in depth this book is. I mean, this book basically covers, you know, I think there, I think I think the book technically chronologically starts at, like World War II, you know, when like Russia <laughs> takes over the islands and kicks Naomi's yeah. family off the islands in, in yeah. northeast Japan. Uh and so <laughs> a lot of a lot of time is covered in, in this star, book. Exactly. And, Yeah, exactly. That's my own like nerdiness. I did a couple more of those <laughs> than I cut, but I kept I kept the World War II one. Um and <laughs> like the population patterns of Florida or something. That was a whole nerdy tangent that I wound up cutting out. Um, the, the pop, yeah. How people migrate to Florida anyway. Uh, yes. I, you know, I don't have definitely no media plans to do. I think there will be, you know, like in the U S it comes out in in hardcover right now mm-hmm. like the hardcover version of the book, which I'm holding up for everyone listening at home who can't see it. Um, they have, uh, uh, So often there's like, I don't know, the plans 100%, but like often there, like Chris Clary's Federal book just had this actually, where there's a Mm -hmm. paperback version that came out like a year or so after, maybe his a couple years after, maybe after the hardcover and it'll have like an additional chapter on like what happened next. And like, so something like that could happen. I'm definitely not, I'm not completely taking my eye off what Naomi's doing in 2024. Mm. Um so I'm, I'm keeping an eye on that. Um, but yeah, I definitely don't think there's gonna be my next book would certainly not be Naomi Osaka Two, Well who the, if you did have a, more voice next... or more more power or yeah, whatever. I don't know. More power, more voice. More um more power, more voice. Uh, two power, two voice. Like that uh, yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. <laughs>
1: like what where are we at in that equation? Um yeah. but no in terms of um if there was another player that you would write a book about, mm. um, who would you write one about? You kind of, not necessarily alluded to, to that, but is there anyone else that you would think would be, make for a, a fascinating story from things that you know? Obviously, you haven't had advanced Googling yet. Yeah. But does anyone spring to mind?
0: Yeah, you know, there's it's, well, there's two different factors in that. There's sort of the realistic, there's like, who would be the most fascinating person? And I'm obviously a huge tennis nerd. I love lots of like obscure players and quirky players and and unique players, interesting players. And there's also like the business side of it. of like, who would actually a publisher want yeah. to not think they the could sell a book about. Necessarily, right. Right. And so those and so those Venn diagrams don't really overlap a ton mm. in terms of players I find really interesting and players who are um first of all the players who tennis players who could actually make a book sell about them is a very small circle frequently. Mm. Mm. Um, so that's just not a big circle at all. And not that, but some of them, you know, are interesting. So there, you know, there's certainly names that come to mind. Like, I do think, I'm not saying this is my next book, but if I, for answer this question, like, I do think there will be several many, Mm. like potentially fascinating, very different, potentially like Novak Djokovic books that could come out in the world. I think he's a hugely complicated... Figure who touches all sorts of different layers of culture, especially you get into like Serbian history, what he means to Serbia, especially. There's a lot of different like anthropological or you know, historical ways you could go at telling a Djokovic story, uh, and trying to make that appealing for non Serbian audiences would be the task, obviously. But to to make it, I think you could be, I think there's a lot of different ways to do that. So he's the most obvious choice, potentially, I think, in terms of big stars. Um, if money was no object, you know. I mean, if, if money of was... Like, a lot of, like, you I would, have been like, funded. You've got a green light for any book yeah, or anybody. Yeah, there's like, you know, there's lots of like quirky players, like, you know, players like, you know, like Barbara Stritseva or like Shea Su Wei or... Shea Su Wei, fascinating. Yeah. Of, she, it would be amazing, yeah. yeah. Um, They've had some she, great classes yeah, with her and like, Naomi. Like, yeah, oh, definitely. She's, oh, yeah. yeah, she... I was almost wish I could spend more time rack you know waxing lyrically about Shay Way in this book Yeah, than I do, we can have you on for another plenty stuff in there already when your second book comes yeah, out. Yeah but but you know people, someone like Shay Sue I just I was thinking of her good luck because she retired this week. So her yeah. last singles match with of her career yeah. was this week. Um, but yeah someone like her is a perfect example of someone who would be fascinating but I don't think would sell. Mm. Um, and then this other story like I just think you know I think there's so many I think so many players in tennis is one of my favorite parts about writing my tennis uh especially the way I got to write about it from the New York Times a lot of times where I was sort of doing the secondary sidebar stories. Like, mm. you know, I was working alongside so like Chris Clary. I just mentioned he would sort of do like the top line, like what are Federer and Nadal doing at the tournament? You mm. know, kind of headline stories. And I would do the sort of here's something you didn't know about Tanae Baczynski yeah, stories. Yeah. And and that was Tanae great for me. I loved that. Big fan of her as well. That's a fantastic
1: story. Oh, yeah. Story. No, did, We're not she's she one of my favorite stories but, I ever did yeah, with my interview incredible. with her. Yeah.
0: And so like she would be a great book, honestly. Yeah, she would be. Um, and and something like that. So yeah, so but so many players have I'm sure Piinsky is not who people expect me to say so but so many players have those stories and almost every player on some level has some degree of fascinating story yeah and and that's an exciting thing about the sport and trying to find ways to connect with them understand that story and tell it with the world and mm. it's gotten tougher over the course of my career for sure access is a lot less uh, mm. in terms of media um you know uh, social media makes a lot of agents and players that they don't Need traditional media so much, and they can do their own thing. And I don't, I don't really agree with that. I don't, I don't think that they get the same value out of just Instagram posts or whatever that you mm. do out of interviews and and being sort of profiled and understood in a way mm. that the professional writers can do it. So you and know, that's a I great think answer, they, Ben. Though Tamir Baczynski, oh, that's
1: exactly what we're looking for. We were actually <laughs> at the Billy Jean King Cup. And Tomeo Batinsky wasn't playing, but she was we walked past her on the same street as our Airbnb. And I was beyond starstruck because for me, i absolutely love her and her career and yeah. the unorthodox nature of it and what she's able to do and like getting the call when she was working in a hotel. And it's just unbelievable when you look at it. And I sometimes I double back and read about it again because it's
0: amazing what people people can do. And I did. That was one of my favorite interviews of all time. Was honestly, it was a very unique one because I took. If you want me to go on a Baczynski tangent, of course I'm gonna do that in the Naomi book uh, podcast. Yeah, yeah. I took like I took like the day off of the French friendship, which was pretty unheard of for me to go to like her hotel and Mm. like sit in the lobby of her hotel in Paris, or not the day, but like an afternoon off, and like she like, (laughs) and she and she was and she like I was like so tell me what happened basically, Mm. and and she talked for like. An hour or so, which is so much longer than the average interview. And I remember actually she was, I was talking to a chair empire, actually, mm-hmm. who had read the story. I'm not gonna say it was chair empire, but a chair a WTA chair empire who had read the story and and was talking to Baczynski like at like the airport, like somewhere a few mm-hmm. weeks later, and it was like, I read this article, you know, and or it was amazing. And she was like, mm-hmm. Yeah, like Ben like asked me a question. I don't know what it was, but I just like started saying everything, all these things yeah. I, I never said before. It was like, it was like this like really like. Therapeutic moment for her, which obviously I'm not a therapist, but like something about whatever was going on in her mind or the yeah. setting or something like made it the right. It was the right person, the right moment, the right time. Yeah, and it's someone one of my favorite stories, the sort of first Vachinsky story, and it could have been that story could have been a, a book or at least a long magazine article at the time from that interview. It wasn't Absolutely, like a 1,200 word newspaper story, which is so long, but it was yeah. There's a lot of stuff in there, um, and definitely that's the kind of thing I always find it really interesting. This goes back to Naomi currently too. But fit kind of my strategy for writing stories at that time in my career, and I still have the strategy, it's almost always more interesting to talk to people who spent a time away from tennis. Mm. People who've just been on the hamster wheel nonstop, often don't have the perspective or other experiences or challenges or whatever. You need some life uh, stuff people as who well. Have, as, yeah. people, people who've been away, people who've had adversity and a reason to leave, a reason to come back, they're often the people I find most compelling. So cool. Emma am Emma Radhikanu could be that, that person. Sense, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm curious Brit. to hear about like Radhikanu's Right. It kind of like time in China. I want to hear about, it. I want yeah, to hear he was definitely upskilling about sort of and living life. And, and that was, that
1: yeah. was incredible to see. So I've got, we're slightly running short on time, but I've got some questions for you where we can do yeah, yeah. Um, some one word answers of predictions. I think oh, we, all okay, of okay, us sure, sure. on the tennis podcast our least favorite word is predictions, but we seem to do quite a lot of them um, and they always go wrong. So don't yeah. worry. We won't hold the, uh, Well, we might hold them to, you to this if you do well, but if you don't, we won't bring it up again. Okay. So, in terms of some predictions for the year, who do you think is going to have a standout year this year of players? Is there one player that you're watching, thinking this could be a big year for them?
0: It's such a lazy answer to say Naomi, but honestly, we can say before my them. data. From, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna say, no, 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 no. I just say Naomi. Naomi is <clears> what, <throat> what I said. Like Naomi right. Osaka, I think, I think it's going to. I don't know if you've heard about her, but. She is, yeah, Naomi Osaka. Uh, Yeah, N a o m i o s a k. -K. Yeah, she's. I think she's gonna have a really good year. I think that she is looking sharp. And honestly, like, I think that that's obviously me being biased, but I do Mm. think that she's like a pick that makes sense on paper. Mm. Also, with how well she played in Mm. in that part of the year, Um, and she's one of the things I would definitely like be buying Osaka stock in terms of her current ranking to go up. Yeah. In terms of that, because her current also like in the seven hundreds or something. Yeah. So. Yeah, I I definitely think that she is someone looking at for sure. I am very very impressed by Iga Swiatek. I think that she's like I think she's much better than everyone else right now in women's tennis. I think the rankings don't do justice how much better she is. In my mind, Mm. she's just like so far and away from even the rest of the top five. And maybe if Sablanka doesn't defend her Australian Open title, maybe the rankings will reflect that a bit Mm. more. Um, cause Sablank is obviously pretty close, but has 2000 points about to come off. So we'll see how that goes. And if said, obviously wins another show and Open, and then she would really reassert herself. So it would change the narrative around that in my mind and in the world, but I, yeah, I think very, very highly of, of Iga. I think she's mm-hmm. had, if, I think if she has another good year and like wins say two slams and stays number one, and this will kind of officially be like the Shiontek era of the sport in WTA Absolutely. history where that has not quite felt like she's really completely consolidated power that way, but she's close. I think she's, she's close. close and I would love to see her play the aforementioned Naomi and have them get a real rivalry, some kind of rivalry again would be, would be great. Well, they have um, history, tennis, don't they uh, as well in terms of the support they've had and shared between them. Yeah, they're buddies. And, they're buddies. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah that's yeah. been super nice. I think I did like a, they're very
0: different, but they're An engaging buddies, yeah. zoom call. Or, they're similar. It was different. Like, yeah.
1: It was, very, it was a very different one, but um, in terms of uh, Australian open, I'm going to ask for one name for men and women that you think is going to take the title.
0: I will say Djokovic, which mm-hmm. is so boring but it's you. It's idiotic not to say that. Yeah, I went, to and center, then but okay, I'll take that. <laughs> okay, that's good. And that, I was like, I've I got to do something that. different I this sh- time. I've been to so many Djokovic. I've been to so many Australian Opens, and Djokovic has won almost all of them. So yeah, that's the, the, my experience. The stats Djokovic. say that. Yes. Yeah, and then the women. I'll say Shvantek. I think that yeah. I think that she is. This is again really safe, not adventurous. Number one, number one picks. But I I really like her game. I think she played well in the United Cup. I think she's going to be the player to beat. And we'll see how conditions are. We'll see how things go. I mean, she did get pretty handled by Rybakina mm. last year and even by Collins here before that. So she, if she plays a big hitter in these conditions, it can be trouble for her. And mm. even like Ostapenko beat her at the US Open that way. Yeah, uh, But with the right draw, she can. I think she can be the player to beat.
1: For year-end number ones, I'm guessing you know Djokovic and Sri then based on your answers. Is that what you think for the end of 2024?
0: For I think Shiontek for sure. For the men, it's gonna depend on at some point Novak Djokovic is gonna get old and slow down. No, it's gonna at some point. I don't think he's here. It's gonna happen at, at some point. Yeah. No, it's gonna happen he's at some point. He's been replacing the parts. Yeah, exactly. It's that you know, theseus ship kind of thing. <laughs> so yeah, he I think he's still my pick. It's he's cause he's I think he's comfortably better than everybody. And yes, I would love to see it be more interesting than that in terms of competitively and have some surprises, but I think that Djokovic is is still the best. And I think he showed that in Turin when, you know, Sinner let him off the hook and he immediately pounced.
1: Exactly. Exactly. He's a force to be reckoned with whenever he steps onto the tennis court. You have to, I mean, the money is always on betting for him when it comes to that. And our final question, yeah. which we ask all of our listeners, we are a British podcast in case you hadn't realized, Ben, I am. I'm from the yeah, UK, okay. yeah. believe it or not. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I know that I do have a bit of an accent now, but um, we always ask our, our guests how they
0: take their tea. Oh my, I think that I take my tea infrequently, but happily when it comes along mm-hmm. with, um, well, my mom makes tea more than this. It's usually when I'm with my mom. You mom take your mom's tea. tea, that's very nice. Makes, yeah. My mom's tea with um, honey and lemon usually Ooh. a situation for her okay. yeah no, probably okay. not very british i don't guess but
1: um yeah there's, there's no tea bag involved there so like I, you might have lost a few supporters but i
0: do think that everyone is oh no a bit you of, make the tea and oh you make the god it. it oh, it, it's not course. just water no it's not just water and there is tea I was, Yeah, I okay. thought the tea was implied sorry it's like fruity the tea water. is like in a pot and you brew the tea and then you pour oh, it that would be very nice like good when you're know, sick, that, definitely. Yeah. You know that's a real yes. It's winter like winter warmer. I had it like in recent winter months. I had that's the yeah. most recent tea was was when I was home during winter and maybe feeling not maybe not sniffly or whatever, but potentially just you know groggy from winter. And so that was the on, that on was the
1: remedy. Well, thank you so much, mm-hmm. and thanks for that insight at the end, Ben. So for sure, <laughs> it's been fantastic having you on. And listeners, I hope that you've enjoyed our latest episode of the Tennis Weekly Podcast. Ben's book, Naomi Osaka, Her Journey to Finding Her Power and Her Voice is out now and available to purchase from all good booksellers and online. Remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on all the action from the ATP and WTA tours. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all major podcasting platforms out there. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also follow us on social media and make sure that you follow Ben on social media with his Twitter handle being Ben Rothenberg. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and X. And our handle is Tennis Weekly Pod. You can email the show, Ben, feel free to email us at tennisweeklypod at (laughs) gmail.com. Or you can check out our website. I wouldn't check out our website, Ben. We need to update it a little bit probably, but um, that's tennisweekly.co.uk. And we will be back very soon with our Australian Open coverage. So, I hope that you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's such a big thank you to Ben. Thanks for having us. Um, Thanks for having us. Thanks for joining us. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Ben. Goodbye. Thank you for having me. Which is great. And it's goodbye from me. We'll see you again soon.